But I'm going to encourage you and ask you to open your Bibles if you have a Bible with you this morning. First Peter chapter number one. First Peter chapter number one. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to look here in first Peter chapter number one this morning. <clears throat> and uh, do pray for us as we have uh, a lot of miles that we put on uh, our our bodies uh, flying and, and traveling different places, but uh, we'll be traveling tomorrow uh, going to Brazil. And we just appreciate your prayers uh, that God would just uh, protect us and keep us in his care. So we're going to look here in First Peter chapter number one uh, this morning. And I'd just like to be a blessing and challenge you today here out of the word of God. First Peter chapter one, the book of Peter uh, was written by the apostle uh, to the church to encourage the persecuted church. Just to give you an idea, at the time when the book of Peter was written, uh, the church was being persecuted. It was around the time of Nero. Uh, King Nero had persecuted the Christians and was persecuting the church. And, and uh, Peter had written them to encourage them and give them hope and encourage them to keep faithful and to keep strong and to keep going on for the Lord. And so it's a very difficult time. Uh, if you look here in 1 Peter chapter number 1, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Who having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. I'd like to uh, point out verse number three. If you'll look with me, verse number three, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I would like to speak this morning on this thought, a living hope for a dying world. A living hope for a dying world. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, dear Lord, for the blessing to be in your house this morning. Thank you for each and every one, Lord, who has chosen to be here. They decided to be here today. They could have been anywhere else, but they just chose to be in your house. And I pray that you'd bless them for that and that you'd speak to us from your word, that your Holy Spirit might have free reign in every heart and every life, draws to you, to know you, 
and to receive you. If there's one here that doesn't have Christ as their Savior, I pray they be saved today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, the Apostle Peter, he is writing this letter to give hope to the church. He's trying to give them hope in a very, very difficult time. We live in a day, especially since COVID, a lot of people, uh, a lot of the statistics have pointed to how that COVID has increased depression amongst many adults and even amongst children and young people, how that the suicide rate has increased, uh, especially when we think about uh, Veterans Day. I grew up uh, in the military. I'm an Air Force brat. And uh, the challenges that veterans go through and the suicide rate amongst veterans, many have lost hope. I remember my dad who fought in Korea and Vietnam. Uh, many times as a young man, I remember him waking up in the middle of the night screaming or under the bed. Sometimes he thought the Viet Cong were coming to get him and uh, went through a very, very difficult emotional time. And uh, really the hope that, that these men and these people need is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, hope for a difficult time. You know, there's people that, who have lost their hope. Uh, you know, hope is defined as a feeling of expectation, a desire for a certain thing to happen. Uh, you know, the Bible says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And uh, sometimes when our expectations aren't met, we lose hope. Uh, we, in our ministry, we work a lot with, with college students, and, and I remember uh, uh, sometimes, you know, they'll ask us to pray for them and things like that. We go to the colleges and present the ministry many times and, and try and encourage them to take a trip, and one young lady said, you know, pray for me. I'm starting my freshman year in college, and pray that that knight in shining armor on a white horse will come. And... Uh, so, of course, you know, we always want to pray for that and pray that God's will be done. The second year came around and somebody asked, well, how's, how's it going? Uh, as that knight in shining armor showed up and she said, well, keep praying for me. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a white horse, you know. Uh, any horse would be good. Uh, and then, you know, another year went by, got to the third year and, and how's it going? And, uh, well, you know, keep praying. Uh, you don't have to necessarily have armor, you know. That armor will rust sometimes, you know. Uh, just pray that uh, that that night will show up someday. And uh, so the last year came around, and somebody asked, "Well, how's it going there? And uh, how's that prayer request?" And she said, "Well, keep praying that uh, a good horse will come along soon." <laughs> <laughs> And so sometimes when our hope is not fulfilled, we lose that expectation. Our expectations become lower and lower sometimes. We have a friend uh, who is a missionary in Brazil for many years. Bill Wood went to Brazil on a boat, believe it or not, and got off the dock in Manaus. He was engaged to a young lady and their mission had a policy. He came from Ireland when he came to Brazil and uh, their mission had a policy that they could not right on the same boat because they were engaged. And so he got there first, on, got off the ship, was there about a month before she got there on the next boat coming over from Ireland. When she got off the boat, he noticed that there was another young man standing next to her. He came up to her and said, hey, dear, what happened? You know, he had made wedding plans. They were going to get married in Brazil as soon as she got there. And she had met somebody else on the, the other boat and got married before she arrived. <laughs> And uh, so Bill 
uh, lost his hope. And, uh, and I saw him just a few years ago. He was 70 years of age. I said, Bill, have you gotten married yet? He said, while there's still life, there's still hope. Amen. <laughs> and uh, he did get married two years later, so he's married now. So while there's still life, there's still hope. You know, Peter, he's talking about a living hope for a dying world. We live in a world where there's not much hope. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter number 2, it says, Wherefore, remember that being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, that in time past you are without Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. You know, I don't know how people that don't have Christ, I don't know how they make it. I don't know where they get their hope from. You know, our hope is not in the government. Our hope's not in a better president or a better government. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that holds this together. He's the one that's holding this world together. But, you know, there is a world out there without hope. In 2006, we had a, a few pastors with us in the Amazon. We were in a very remote area. And uh, we were with our national pastor, Francisco Mendez, who had established a church in that little village. And we had had services, and then after the service, we were in the pastor's home. And you go in that home, and it was just very simple. I mean, it was on stilts, and they build them that way so the floodwaters can go under, and the creepy crawlers can go under, and the chickens and the pigs can go under. And they, so they live kind of under the house. And the houses are built up like this. And so we went in there, just very simple, four, four walls and um, not much furniture. And we go in this house, a thatched roof. And so the pastor, he wanted to have us over for dinner. And so me and I had a couple pastors from the States. We sat there and it was extremely hot. And so what they had for dinner, they had fish and they had manioc. And so we sat down. They didn't have enough plates for all of us. There were four of us, and so they would sit one group down, and they would eat, and then they'd wash the plates, and then the next group would come down, and so we sat there, and uh, they said, we want to give you the best piece of meat, and to them, the best piece is the fish head, and so they sat in front of me, a big old head of what appeared to be like a catfish, looking up at me, and I said, I'm not the guest of honor, the pastor. He came all the way from the States. Let's give it to him. Who am I to take this honor upon myself? And so we pushed that plate over there. And he was sitting there. And the pastor, he was sweating. And he was looking at me. And he, was, he had been to Krispy Kreme a few times. And so he was a little bit portly. And he looked at me just drenching with sweat. And he said, I'll give $20 if I could get a Coke right now. A Coca-Cola. Well, I mentioned the... The Pedro, who was the father of the house there, and, and I said, Pedro, I said, is there soda? And he said, just a minute. He called his little boy over there, said something to him in Indian, Takuna, and the little boy went running off, and about 20 minutes later, he came back with a two-liter bottle of Coke that was cold. There had been a merchant ship or boat that had gone by, and they traded some fish for a Coke, and they kept it in the bank of the river for a special occasion. He brought that in there and it's just, I mean, just wet. And I said, okay, pastor, where's the 20 bucks? Show the money. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And I thought, you know, here's a place where these people don't have much hope, but they have Coke. <laughs> you know, Coke has 
they're, like the Bible says, the children of this generation are wiser sometimes than the children of light. They have a purpose to get their brand into all the world. They even paid NASA to put a plaque on the moon that says, drink Coke. You know, God has given us something far greater, far, far greater hope that this world needs. And that man standing there, Pedro, looked at me, and, and he didn't have any front teeth, but he had a big smile on his face, and he said, you know what? Since Francisco came and told us about Jesus Christ, he said, our village has changed. He said, before, he said, I would go out fishing, and sometimes I'd get in an argument with my wife, and I'd be out there on the rivers for three days fishing because I didn't want to come home. And I said, well, you sound kind of like some guys in North Carolina I know. <laughs> and, but he said, when Francisco came, my life changed. Our home changed. And he said, now we have hope. Interesting, two weeks after that happened, I was back in the big city in Sao Paulo where we live. Big city, like New York City. I went to make a visit. One of our national pastors asked me to go with him to make a visit. And we went to a very upscale neighborhood. High-rise apartment building. The last two floors of this apartment building, the guy that we're going to visit was the owner. And we got there. The elevator opened to his apartment. He wasn't there, but his wife was. And she's the one that had invited us to lunch. And we went, and the table was set, beautiful. They had a big picture window. You could see the whole city, the penthouse of the apartment. And she said, Pastor, I invite you today because my husband is the most miserable man in all the world. Her husband was Pele, who was a professional soccer player, a multimillionaire. A man that was voted the athlete of the century by Sports Illustrated. And she said he was the most miserable man in all the world. And I got to thinking, you know, what's the difference between Pedro back there on the river and Pele here in the city? Is that Pedro has nothing, but he has Christ. And because he has Christ, he has everything. Christ is our hope. Christ is the living hope for a dying world. And Peter, he's trying to get across to the Christians in that day that we can have hope. And I believe he teaches us three things here this morning that will give us hope. First of all, there is hope in the rebirth. There's hope in being born again, regeneration. Verse number three, the Bible says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. I'm not asking you this morning if you're a Baptist. I'm not asking you this morning if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you this morning if you have a religion. I'm asking you, have you been born again? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Jesus looked the eyes of a man who was very religious and very well known, and he looked him in the eye, and he said, it is verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Peter's talking about. He's talking about being begotten again, being born again. Salvation without regeneration is only reformation. God has commanded us to be born again. You must be born again. You must receive the new birth through Jesus Christ. 
Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. My question for you this morning, have you been born again? Do you know for sure if you are to die that you'd go to heaven? Has Jesus come to live within you and given you a new life? Reformation, religion, is what we do for God, but regeneration and salvation is what God does for us. And it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter what good things you have done. God doesn't love us because we're good. God loves us because He's good. And His mercy endures forever. The new birth is a gift of God. As it says here in verse 3, according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. The new birth is a gift of God, not of merit of men. But the new birth is the gospel. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can be born again. Maybe you ever heard of Charles Darwin? Charles Darwin developed the theory of evolution. In 1833, Charles Darwin traveled the world. And through his travels, he came up with the theory of evolution. A lot of people don't know, but Charles Darwin, though he wasn't a Christian, he supported missionaries. He supported the South America Mission Society. Why did he do that? I'm not saying Charles Darwin converted to Christ. He supported missions because the places he went to where the gospel had been had so transformed those places that he couldn't deny the work of the gospel. In 1833, he traveled to an area in the Pacific called the New Hybrids Islands. And he wrote in his journal after he visited those islands, when he was on those islands, he found disease, he found cannibals, he found people that were living in immorality. And he wrote in his journal that these savages, these are his words, are subhuman. Very delayed in their evolutionary process. And he wrote in his journal, it will take at least another 30,000 years for them to evolve to be civilized as us. You know, as God allowed it, Charles Darwin, 34 years later, happened to go back through that same group of islands. He got off that same island where he had observed before cannibals, disease, misery... And he got off the boat and he saw that there were houses, there were schools, there were clinics, there were people that were living as families, there were people that were, once were naked, were clothed, and they were living civilized. And he couldn't believe what he saw, that place that was a disaster had transformed into a paradise. And he said, what took place here? How was this all this transformation? How did they evolve so quickly? And they took Charles Darwin to a little chapel church on that island. And near the pulpit, even to this day, there's a plaque that says, John Patton, missionary. When he came, there were no Christians. And when he left, there were no heathen. John Patton labored in those islands, preaching the gospel for over 30 years. My friend, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth. 
It has power to change. It has power to transform. And Darwin is still looking. We're still looking for that missing link. Why the gospel has found many lost souls and changed many lives. The gospel. You must be born again. The hope for this world is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a new birth. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. As I mentioned, I grew up in the military. We traveled a lot. When my dad <coughs> retired, we landed in Oklahoma. And so I went, graduated from high school there. I'd never been in a church like this before in my life until I was 19 years of age. Growing up as a Roman Catholic, you've been an altar boy. My uncle had been a priest. And I was going to Central State University. Graduated at 17. Started university classes before I graduated. Was going to Central State University. <clears throat> and in my second year, somebody put a gospel track called God's Simple Plan of Salvation, put it on the windshield of my car. I'd never seen those before. Took it and I read it and I read it and I read it. And one night I knelt beside my bed and I said, Lord, I don't understand all this because in my religion, you had to memorize the prayer and recite it back again. And so here I was trying to memorize this little track and try to recite it back to God. And finally I realized, I, man, I don't have a good enough memory. And I said, Lord, I can't... Re Remember all this, but one thing I know, I'm a sinner, and I want Jesus Christ as my Savior. And he saved me. You say, well, what would you do after that? Well, I kept going to the Catholic Church. I didn't know what else to do. But not long after, I said, I'm going to visit the church on that track. And went to the church. It was about 45 minutes from my house. Wednesday night, came in the foyer. The usher was there, and I said, what time does Mass start? He looked at me with a big smile on his face. He said, Mass has already started. Come right in. We have a good place for you. <laughs> and that night, when they gave the invitation, somebody came and talked to me, and they said, do you know you're saved? I said, well, I found that pamphlet and did what it said. What do I do now? The gospel changed my life. You must be born again. That's what Jesus said. If you've been born again, you have hope. We have hope in the regeneration. We have hope in the resurrection, as it says there in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have hope because he lives, we'll live also. Because Jesus rose from the dead. You know, you can go all over the world. We have the, those that believe in Islam, and according to Islam, once in their lifetime, they have to go to Mecca and touch the tomb of Muhammad. And then in Asia, they have Confucius, and they have Buddha, and, and in Utah, they have Joseph Smith, and they have his tomb, and all these tombs and all these places are famous because of who's there, but Christ's tomb is famous because of who's not there. Because he rose, he lives. Because he lives, we can have life. The apostle Paul said, If Christ be not raised from the dead, then our preaching is vain and our faith is in vain. And he said, If in this life only 
we have hope. Our, we are of all men most miserable. Our hope isn't in this life. Our hope goes beyond this life. Our hope is in the resurrection. The life of Christ brings victory over the punishment of sin. That's called salvation. Because he rose from the dead. He took the punishment for our sins when he bore our sins on the cross. And he bore our sins and our punishment in our place. And he was buried and he rose again. The life of Christ brings victory over the punishment of sin. My friend, God is not so concerned about your past. He's concerned about your future. And it doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done. He is able to forgive. He is able to change. The life of Christ brings victory over the power of sin. That's called sanctification. The Bible says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We don't need to be more slaves to sin in Satan. He sets us free. The life of Christ one day will bring victory over the presence of sin. And that's called glorification when we stand in his presence. Jesus, who deserved to live, he died our death so that we might live. As the Apostle Paul said, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us victory. You know, D.L. Moody said, not long before he died, he said, one day you'll read in the headlines of the papers that Moody is dead. But he said, don't believe a word of it. Because when I leave this world, I'll be more alive than ever. And our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As John said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into death, but is passed from death unto life. My friend, our hope is in the resurrection. You know, if you go to certain places in Brazil, especially northern Brazil, and even some places in Africa, but in northern Brazil, they, they have a custom because of their religion. They believe that when somebody dies, the more weeping there is at their funeral, the more honor that you're giving to that person. And so they'll have what's called a wake. And so all night long, family and friends will come and uh, they'll weep. And they'll, I've seen before where... People have gotten so distraught. I saw one mother get so distraught, she reached into the casket and was trying to pull her son out of the casket. And she was just screaming and yelling and weeping. But interesting, even in some of those places, they'll pay people to weep. I mean, you could actually get a job. If you know how to turn on the tears, they'll pay you. And you can get a job because they believe by the more weeping there is, that the more honor that you're giving to that person. Do you know what the Bible says? I would not have you ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, 
even as others that have no hope. You know, many people sorrow at the death of a loved one because they lost their hope. But us that know Christ, we can rejoice. Amen? Because we will see them again. Our hope is in the resurrection. But lastly, we have hope in a heavenly residence. In 1 Peter 1, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. God has a prepared place for prepared people. God has prepared a place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place, place for you. And if I go, I will come again and bring you unto myself. Our hope, we have a hope in heaven. Heaven is a perfect place, as it says here, incorruptible and undefiled. It's a perfect place for unperfect people. It's a perfect place for those who are sinners. There'll be no more death, sadness, sickness, burdens, fighting, or tears. For God shall wipe away every tear. Heaven is a perpetual place, as he says right there, that fadeth not away, but is reserved in heaven for you. But lastly, we see that heaven is a prepared place. Heaven is prepared place for prepared people. And my challenge to you this morning is, are you prepared? As Titus said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you have a living hope? You always remember, when we get around the time of 9-11, we were living in Brazil in 2001. <clears throat> and I remember there's an evangelist, Bill Fay. He was, he was preaching out in a conference, a Bible conference, out in Washington State, in Bellevue, Washington. And he was preaching at the Crossroads Bible Church. And on September the 9th, he just finished a conference there. And uh, the 10th, which was a Monday, uh, he was on his way back, flying back to the, other, the East Coast. He's flying back to New York. And on the way back, he was sitting on the plane, and as he was sitting on the plane, uh, he noticed that there's a stewardess that was there with a, you know, they have those ice buckets, and she had a wine bottle, and she was hitting it, trying to break the ice. And he thought, man, that's an accident waiting to happen. And so he got up out of his seat and went to her, and he said, ma'am, can, can I help you? I noticed you're struggling a little bit with that ice bucket, and and she said, sure, and thanked him. And so he helped her out there for a little bit, got to talking to her. Before he got done and went to his seat, he said, can I just leave a, this little gospel track with you? And it has some Bible verses and just tells you a, a gospel message. And she said, well, sure. And he went back to his seat and sat down. And it was one of those red-eye flights, you know, so you're like all night long. And uh, he couldn't sleep, and so he was just kind of laying there and in the seat with his eyes open, and pretty soon that, that same stewardess and uh, flight attendant came by and stopped where he was and kind of knelt down next to him and said, excuse me, I see you're not sleeping. I just wanted to ask you a question. She said, 
You know that little pamphlet you gave me? She said, that is the fourth one that I've been given in the past two days. And she said, I can't ever remember that happening. She said, do you think maybe God wants something from me? <laughs> and he said, well, certainly he wants your life. And uh, so Bill had the opportunity to talk to her about Christ. And he had, had a little New Testament with them. So he opened it up, began to show her some verses. And then he asked her, would you like to pray and ask Jesus to be your Savior? He said, it's It's simple. It's by faith and repentance that you trust in the Lord. And, and so she said, well, sure. And so right there on the plane, everyone else was sleeping. He prayed with her. She prayed, called upon the name of the Lord and accepted Christ. And he said, I'd just like for you to write your name down here in the, in the fly leaf or in the, in, in the cover of my New Testament. So she wrote her name down and the date. And they went on their way. He got, got to New York, got off the plane. She came and gave him a hug, thanked him. She said, you know what? I feel so much more relieved. That was on September the 11th when he arrived early in the morning. And uh, he went home. But that same morning, American Airlines Flight 11 was going back to Washington. And... That was the first flight that slammed into the World Trade Center. So obviously when he realized that he had been on the plane just a few hours previous, he realized, I wonder if that same crew was working on the way back. And so he looked on the crew list. He didn't know if she would be working or maybe just going back home. And sure enough, that was, her name was there on the list of those that perished. This was just a few hours before she had trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior. You know, my friend, we don't know, none of us know, when we're going to leave this world and we're going to step into eternity. You know, Bob Jones Sr. said, the truth that changed my life is that I'm going to spend eternity someplace forever. We don't know. But we can have hope that when we leave this world, we'll be in the presence of the Lord. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And my question to you this morning, are you prepared? Have you been born again?